This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to worship this morning here at Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church. It is good to be together as the body of Christ today. Whether you are worshiping with us here in our sanctuary or joining us in worship online, all are welcome. This morning kicks off our holiday season here at BMPC, even if we are still a couple of weeks away from the start of the season of Advent. Immediately following worship today, you are invited to come directly to Congregational Hall for our opening Advent gift market celebration, where there will be coffee and refreshments, but even more importantly, representatives from the committees and councils of the church as they seek to introduce you to our mission and ministry partners doing incredible work both locally and around the world. Some of you have already begun to shop using our online shopping site, the address for which is found in your bulletin this morning. But for those of you who wish to purchase your alternative gifts today, you will find AGM volunteers on the balcony outside of Congregational Hall willing to help you complete your purchases. Those volunteers will also be available to you each Sunday morning following worship in the atrium throughout the season of Advent. Later this afternoon, you can join women from the church for an afternoon of fellowship and service. Starting at 3 p.m., we will be creating Christmas stockings for children at Gemma Services Residential School and making soup for members of the congregation. No RSVP, craft skills, or cooking experience is required. Women of the church of all ages are invited. Finally, you are all also invited to join the youth of the church as they host our annual Thanksgiving pancake pancake breakfast. This is a wonderfully joyful time of fellowship and food, and even more importantly, a fundraiser to help support the work that we do as a congregation to support our middle school and high schoolers in their fellowship, their study, and their mission and service to the world. If you have never attended the Thanksgiving Day Pancake Breakfast before, this is your year to check it out. If you are a regular attendee of the event, we look forward to seeing you there as well. Now, friends, I invite you, as you are able, to please stand and join with me in the call to worship. Thus says the Lord, I will bring you out from among the people and gather you into your own land, and I will strengthen the weak and the strong I will watch over. I will feed my people in justice, says the Lord, and shower the people with peace.
be seated. When we gather to worship God, we remember that we are God's people, but that we have often preferred our way instead of God's way. Trusting God's power to make us new persons in Christ, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Will you please join me in the unison prayer of confession? Holy One, we bow before you humbly and joyfully, for you are gracious and forgiving. We depend upon your mercy, for we have sinned. We have neglected your call to seek the lost, bring back the strayed, bind up the injured, and strengthen the weak. We have failed to invest ourselves fully in your work for a more equitable world. Forgive us, we pray. Gather and direct us that we may live as your faithful people, as good stewards of the abundant resources entrusted to our care through acts of compassion justice, and peace. Amen. We who walk by faith and not by sight believe this good news. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. Praise be to God for the mercy and grace that forgives our sins. Alleluia. Amen. The Lord be with you. Now in one, two, three, four days, something is happening. Does anyone know what's happening? What, what's happening? Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving, sometimes we eat special foods. Sometimes we get to see special people. Sometimes we get to play games with family. Sometimes people take long naps. Sometimes people have pancakes for breakfast. It's a pretty special day, right? But what the name of the day is what? Thanksgiving. And so the job of Thanksgiving is that we have to give thanks. When do you say thank you? Do you say thank you after someone helps you? You'll say thank you. When else might you say thank you to someone? Yeah. If someone's invited to your house, you would say thank you, right? That's a nice time to say. 
And once you leave, to say thank you for your, for your hospitality. When's another time you might say thank you? If someone gave you some food to eat or shared something, or maybe after you get a birthday present or something special, right? There's so many different times that we pause to say thank you. Thank you for big things and thank you for little things. But on Thanksgiving, even more important than the turkey, even more important than the pie or the pancakes or the naps or anything else is a chance to say thank you to our families, but also to God for all of the things we've received, for the good food we're going to share, for the people around the table, for the friends that maybe you can't see that day but who help you have a good life. So I want you to have, have a challenge for you today. I want you to think of five things that you are thankful for. How many fingers do you have on your hand? Convenient, huh? So I want you to hold up five fingers. And I want you to think of one, two, three, four, five things that you are thankful for. And when you meet someone, I want you to give them a high five like this. Give me a high five. Boom, boom. And I want you to ask them, what are the five things they are thankful for? And then if we keep doing that, I wonder how many things we will be thankful for altogether. At least 10, then maybe 20, then maybe 30, then maybe 40, then maybe millions. So let's start by taking a deep breath and letting our hands rest before we start that important work. And take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And I'm going to invite you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Dear God, thank you for so much. For friends, for family, for good food, and fun. Be with us this week and keep us safe. And all together we say, Amen. Let us pray. Spirit of truth, move now in ancient words and cluttered hearts, that we might hear your voice and live. For we long to be glad servants of your hidden, holy reign. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the prophet Micah. Listen for the word of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? 
Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God?
Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to prepare for the coming reign of God. From the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See that I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless servant, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. In 1860, the year Abraham Lincoln was elected president, a 23-year-old named Milton Bradley invented his first board game of 64 red and ivory squares called the checkered game of life. Play started on a square labeled infancy, illustrated by a tiny wicker 
cradle and ended usually but not always at happy old age. The game represented, as indicated by the name, the checkered journey of life, Bradley explained. There are good patches and bad in roughly equal number. On the one hand, honesty, bravery, success. On the other, poverty, idleness, disgrace. With a spin of the dial that tells how many steps to take forward, the game requires each player to take risks and make decisions. Most players try to go to college heading slowly toward happiness and success. However, by chance, you could land on a square of a seedy-looking tavern with death hovering at the door looking like a bill collector in a stovepipe hat. Curiously, in the original game, two directions that almost guarantee that you will lose are going to prison or going into politics. (laughs) The wise players will strive to gain that which will make them the most prosperous and to shun that which will delay progress. A hundred years later, in 1960, the Milton Bradley Company released a commemorative game of life which bears little resemblance to the first. Bradley's original game about vice, virtue, and the pursuit of happiness was reinvented as a lesson in consumerism. The box is filled with $7 million of fake money, automobile insurance, and stock certificates. Players filled tiny little station wagons with their mommies and daddies and pink and blue babies in a game that is relentlessly cash conscious. In the 1960 game, whoever finishes with the most money wins. In the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, versions took the risk of death out of the game, and people ended up either bankrupt or retiring in style. However, the more recent versions go back to rewarding virtue. Players earn extra cash by doing good things like recycling or donating a kidney. Yes, those are equal options. (laughs) Finally, the latest version of the game of life adds pet ownership as a high quality. (laughs) Earning money is still a big part of the equation, but the new game's selling point is that there is no clear goal. You mostly choose the life you want to lead. You get the same number of points on your visa card for taking up scuba diving or earning a PhD. You could argue that in a telling way, the game of life traces an interesting arc in how we measure success from leading a life of virtue toward a good old age 
or having it your way with plenty of cash in the bank and a pet. But the study of the history of this game shows that from 1860 until now, the one common denominator in each version of the game is risk and choice. You can make choices along the way, whether they be related to vice or virtue, cars or cash, children or pets, but each version involves risk. You spin the dial and move forward a few spaces and make choices depending on where you land. The choices that involve risk, that lean into uncertainty with hope for a good outcome, will increase the likelihood of winning the game. When Jesus tells the parable of the talents, he is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the end of his life, and he is trying to prepare the disciples for life without him. Their journey forward is no game, of course, but the story of the doling out of talent seems as wildly hyperbolic and random as spinning the wheel and counting the steps forward. For the disciples, the risk is clearly the uncertainty about what lies ahead, especially when Jesus is no longer right beside them. But he has already bequeathed them so much. He has shown them a greater sense of justice. He has modeled being good toward people, especially the most vulnerable. He has demonstrated how to make peace in a hostile world and how to nurture and care for another's soul. This story Jesus tells is intended to help them imagine putting their lives at risk for the sake of the gospel in order to live meaningful, faithful, purposeful lives. Now, in order to dive into this parable deeply and surface uh, with a nugget of truth, we have to understand some basics. Just like last week's parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids, this one points toward a day of judgment. It is meant to make us mindful that God cares about how we invest our lives our time, treasure, talent, and commitments. In the face of fear and uncertainty, God also leads us forward, calling us to considerable risk to further the gospel, to spread the good news of God in the world. 
Jesus captures the depth and breadth of that risk by using the oversized metaphor of a man doling out talents to his servants. Now, a talent in this parable is not proficiency in math or music or sport or flower arranging. A talent here is a very large sum of money. One talent is worth what a day laborer could earn in about 15 years of working. The man is going on a trip. He leaves each of three servants a vast sum of money, each according to their ability, we are told. There is a long delay before he returns, and when he does, those who receive the larger portion made wise investments, doubled their sums, and are praised. But the one-talent person was fearful fearful of the donor, and careful not to risk losing any of it. So he hid the cash box in the backyard and returned to the man exactly what he had been given, no less and no more. What he receives in return is a withering tongue lashing and the threat of being cast into outer darkness. So what exactly is the difference in how these three servants made their investments? The only real difference has to do with the gifts they were given and the risk they were willing to make. We can reasonably argue that the two who invested wisely think Their absentee head of household means well for them, perhaps like God, who is benevolent, gracious, positive, and kind. While the one-talent person who invests nothing imagines the returning donor with fear, I knew that you were harsh, he said. So I was afraid. One biblical scholar describes him saying, This one who risks nothing personifies the question of whether we live out of fear or whether we live out of hope. This parable right now, is asking us, are we living out of fear or are we living out of hope? Earlier this year, my alma mater, Davidson College, inaugurated a new president Doug Hicks has advanced degrees in both religion and economics. And he makes the case that both religion and economics are disciplines of hope. 
In his inaugural address, he said, Hope isn't the same thing as optimism. Optimism is seeing the world as better than it is. Hope sees the world exactly as it is with its smooth parts and its rough parts, and yet hope envisions a better reality. Hope is active, something that requires a great deal of work and a healthy dose of courage in the face of what we see today. And then Doug Hicks points to the differentiation Martin Luther King Jr. made between what he called magic hope and realistic hope. Magic hope, King argued, involves sitting around and waiting for something to miraculously change. That gets us nowhere. Realistic hope, on the other hand, requires much from us. Critical thinking skills, social analysis, organizational prowess, motivational power, and moral imagination. Those are the real components of hope. Hicks takes what King said and frames it in his own words as a new college president overseeing the education of young adults, which we know is a risky endeavor on college campuses these days. He says, hope is more than a virtue. Hope is a practice an active, daily practice, a way of being in the world. We exercise our critical thinking skills to analyze and understand the world. We exercise our moral imagination to envision something better and to believe that no problem is too big or too intractable to solve. Then, We exercise our courageous resilience and get to work. I think that is exactly what Jesus was getting after when he tells this parable about wise investing. Do not be afraid of the giver. Your primary benefactor is neither harsh nor to be feared. God has given you everything you need to journey through life as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Put what God has given you into the daily active practice of hope. Use your critical thinking skills. Use your moral imagination. Exercise courageous resilience and get to work. And you will no doubt discover you have made wise investments 
in life. Not the game of life, but your authentic, meaningful, purposeful, God-given life. Amen. Having heard the word read and proclaimed, let us remain standing as we confess what it is we believe by sharing together in the words of our affirmation of faith. In Christ, the new world has already broken in 
and the old can no longer be tolerated. We know that we cannot bring in God's kingdom, but hope plunges us into the struggle for victories over evil that are possible now in the world, the church, and our individual lives. It gives us courage and energy to contend against all opposition, however invincible it may seem, for the new world and new humanity that are surely coming. You may be seated. Knowing that in life and in death we belong to God, we give thanks for the life of Carol Pendergrass, who was welcomed into God's presence on November 8th. A service of witness to the resurrection for Carol's life will be held Thursday, November 30th at 11 a.m. in the chapel. We remember her family and hold them in our hearts during these days. Let us now look to God in prayer. God of goodness and abundance, you tell us we are your greatest investments. And while we wonder sometimes if that's true, we know it to be so when we think of what it cost you to be invested. That is a mystery too marvelous and holy and terrible to think on, not just your coming among us, but how you left. But we know you are faithful, even in the outer darkness. So in your terrible faithfulness, hear us as we pray. In these days of thanksgiving, we are grateful. We are grateful for the love we have known from friends and family, those we will see this week and those we will miss, who will visit us only in our memories. We are grateful for a nation of relative safety, where missiles and air raids do not pierce our ears, where terror does not cause us to flee. We are grateful for the commonplaces of our civil society, for schools, parks, public libraries, and for this church which grounds us and sends us all at the same time under this sacred canopy where we are reminded that we are more broken than we realize and we are more loved than we can even imagine. We give you unending praise for these things and more. But our world continues to spin with all its madness, so we call it out to you. Bring comfort to the grieving. Bring healing to the sick. Bring rest to the weary. Bring calm to the anxious. Bring food to the hungry. Bring place to the homeless. Bring forgiving to the estranged. Bring peace to the conflicted. Bring joy to the young and satisfaction to the old. Bring hope in ways that dispel our fears. Bring thankfulness to us all. 
This we pray in the name of the one for whom we are most grateful, Christ Jesus our Lord, who taught his disciples when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Following our affirmations and petitions, we commit again to the call of following Jesus Christ, the one who has poured out abundance and good gifts on us, and who invites us, calls us, burdens us to share it with a world that is in desperate need. That is the work of discipleship, the gracious invitation to live into God's faithfulness. For when we share our gifts, we share God's hope for the world. As we prepare to receive our tithes and offerings, we encourage you to find the friendship pad located towards the center aisle at the end of your pews, to fill it out and pass it down and back as a way to further community as we learn the names of those with whom we worship.
Behold our treasures, O God, return to you with thankfulness. Use them to bless others, so that they may know what we proclaim, that you are faithful always. Amen. into the world in peace. Do not be afraid, but have hope. Remember your call to invest your life wisely toward the coming of God's full reign. As you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all those you love and all God's children everywhere this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>